You're listening to a Stones Crossing Leadership Lab podcast. This podcast was previously recorded at a Leadership Lab training here at Stones Crossing Church. You can find more information about Stones Crossing Leadership Lab at stonescrossingchurch.com. You know, as we, um, as we, as we started thinking about Leadership Lab, uh, we, we, we wanted to make it accessible uh, to everybody, whether they're members, non-members, whether they're serving or not. Um, the reason why is because we really see that leadership development is a part of the discipleship-making process. So let me just kind of say that again. Leadership development is a part of the discipleship-making process. So in other words, leadership development is not something that corporate America came up with and then the church is trying to copy it. I think if you read through the Gospels and you notice Jesus' method, he had a very clear method and strategy for what he was doing. And so he spent a lot of time, obviously, preaching and teaching to the masses. He spent a significant amount of time healing the sick, uh, caring for the poor as well. Uh, but, but his main mission was investing in 12 disciples. His main mission was going to the cross but, it, but raising up 12 leaders. And even behind those 12 men, the 12 disciples, there was another group of 120 men and women that followed the disciples around and financially supported them, by the way. And he invested in them as well. They would become future leaders in the Jerusalem church and also in churches scattered around the Mediterranean as the apostles took the gospel to the ends of the earth. So Jesus was very focused on raising up leaders because it's, it's a huge part of seeing the Great Commission fulfilled. And we see, we, see the same, we see the same thing here at Stones. And so that's why, that's why we're doing Leadership Lab. That's why it's so important that you're here tonight. Now, we need to kind of begin thinking about what leadership really is. Um, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions about leadership. And I think those misconceptions hinder leadership. And one misconception is that leadership is serving on a committee or serving... Uh, on a board. And that's really not leadership. Uh, leadership can involve serving on a committee. You know, a committee is a group of people that sit around and think about, and, you know, what other people need to be doing. Uh, that's really what a committee is, but, uh, but that's not leadership. Leadership is, and this is probably the biggest misconception, a lot of people think leadership is standing up in front of a group of people and preaching and teaching. And that, that can involve leadership, but that's not leadership. Uh, the other thing that um, I think the other misconception about leadership that people have is you've got to have a position and you have people under you and you tell them what to do and then they go and do it. Now, that's called position, you know, that can be positional leadership, but that's, that's not really the essence of what leadership is. And so the, the, you know, the golden definition of leadership is not something I've come up with, but it's something you all have probably heard. Leadership at, at its very basic core is just influence. That's all it is. Leadership is influence. And so John Maxwell says, if you, if you think you're a leader and you turn around and nobody is behind you, uh, then you're only taking a walk. Because, because why? Leadership is influencing people to go somewhere and to do something. And so, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, leadership requires, in order to have that kind of influence, it requires that you have a certain kind of personality, that you have an extroverted personality. And that's not really true either. That's a myth as well. And so sociologists say that even the most introverted among us, 
uh, like Chris McLaughlin. Um, just, just a little joke there. Um, even the most introverted among us, over the course of their lifetime, sociologists say they're going to influence 10,000 people. So leadership really has nothing to do with how extroverted you know, your personality is or what your personality is like. The truth is this. The reason why we're here tonight is because God has given each of us a measure of influence. He's given in every single one of us an influence. If you serve in a ministry at church, you are exerting that influence. And so our dream and our prayer is God increase our influence for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God. God, do that among us. Because really, that's our agenda at church. It's not about one person. It's not about, you know, a staff, you know, building some platform. It's not about growing a great big, you know, building or whatever. It's really about making disciples. And so at the heart of our prayer, uh, the heart of our vision for this is, is really to grow our influence. So, so if you're a greeter or an usher, you're a small group leader, you're a lifehouse leader, you, you volunteer in the nursery, um, you, know, you serve you know, on the cafe team, you have influence. And, and my challenge to our congregation this year is, and you've, you've heard me week after week, is we want to challenge the entire congregation to take a step for Jesus this year. That's what we want to do, to take a step in their discipleship. And my challenge for you tonight is for you to take a step in your leadership, in your influence. And what would happen if you took that step as a leader and you grew as a leader? See, some of us in the room are level one leaders. Some of us are level three leaders. Some of us are level five leaders. What would happen if those of you who are level one leaders, you grew to level three? What would happen if you know, level three leaders grew to level five and, and so on down the line. What would happen? Well, we would see marriages healed. We would see people come to faith in Christ. We would see kids, you know, just filled with joy because they understand the scripture. Like God is becoming real to them. We'd see families reunited and addictions broken. We would, in other words, we would see lives change. And that's what's at stake with the influence that God has given us. And that's what that's what we really want to focus on tonight. So I want us to begin, I, I gave you a little bit of an outline, or a, I did give you an outline, um, and it begins with just the, the most astounding passage of scripture on leadership that Jesus ever ushered. And it's in Luke 22, it's in, it's in three of the gospels, but I picked the one out of Luke 22, and I just want to walk us kind of through this, and then I'll, I'll share a little bit uh, where we're going to go just in our lesson tonight. Luke 22, Luke records this, a dispute also arose among them, that's the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. So they're jockeying for position here. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, because they benefit from the people serving them, obviously. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For he who is the greater, the one who, re, for who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it, is it not the one who reclines at, at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Now, what is Jesus doing in that passage? He's doing a couple of things. He's giving us two different models of leadership. He's giving us the world's leadership, and he's introducing his. 
And what he's saying is this. You know the world's leadership. You've been out in the marketplace. You know that it's dog eat dog. You know that it's climbing the pyramid and it's stepping on whoever you need to step on to get to the top, right? That's the way the world does it. And that's what he says. The Gentiles lord it over them. And you get to the top, you're the benefactor. But what Jesus says is this. Not so with you. It's not to be that way with you. Not that way in the church. And then he gives the model of what true leadership is, what true greatness is. It's putting a, it's putting a towel over your arm and it's serving. And that's, that, that's the heart of what Jesus is saying. In other words, the way you could say it is this way. Servanthood is leadership. And leadership is servanthood according to Jesus. That's at the heart of, of what he's really trying to say. And so obviously the model for leadership and the culture of leadership that we want to create and continue to cultivate here is servant leadership. And you're a big part of that. So what I want to do tonight is I just want to share with you five characteristics of a servant leader. What is a servant leader? What does a servant leader look like? I think that there are five characteristics. Here's the first one. Write this down. Servant leaders are available. Servant leaders are available. Now, what do I mean by that? Servant leaders don't fill up their time with, you know, trivial pursuits that limit their availability to serve. All right, now, did you just hear what I said? Uh, Because that's a lot right there. You know, servant leaders, they, they don't pack their schedule so, so full that now they can't really serve. Uh, servant leaders are ready to jump into service when they're called upon. They're very similar to a soldier ready to be called up into battle at a moment's notice. They're ready to go in. And Paul uses this analogy with, with an understudy of his, Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy 2.24, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And so the reason why we keep a guard over our our schedule is because we want to please the one who's called us. We want to please our commander-in-chief. We want to be ready to serve when he sends us in. And that's at the heart of what servant leadership is all about. Now, practically, this means that servant leaders serve when it's not convenient for them. So if, you don't, if you're not willing to serve, you know, when it, when it inconveniences you, then you're not a servant leader. And so that's at the heart of what it means to, to be a servant leader. Can, here's the question. Can God mess up your plans and redirect you? Yes, he can. Can he do it without you getting resentful? That's the question. You all, when I was a younger pastor, I used to get so frustrated because I had my task list plan, I had my day plan, and God would come in and interrupt my, interrupt my schedule, and I would get so frustrated because I couldn't do the ministry I was called to do. Isn't that hilarious? And I had forgotten that God was sovereign over my schedule, and he can make, he can make whatever changes that he needs to make. And I think the root issue of this one is, the root issue of availability is really priority, it's all about, it goes back to our priorities. What's most important in your life? And I think, I think as servant leaders, what's going to grow our influence is us getting on our knees saying, God, my schedule belongs to you. How do you want me to invest my time? I've got a limited amount of time, a limited amount of energy, but God, you get to call the shots. And when you begin to let that be your prayer, 
your influence is going to grow because God is, is the wind of the Holy Spirit be, begins to blow through us and use us because you are becoming available to be used. That's at the heart of what's happening here. And so I love, I love this because I think people get fearful when they think about surrendering their schedule to God, but it's actually freeing. I think we get fearful because we think that if I surrender my schedule to God, then I'm going to be at the church 24-7. And that's not, that's not what we want for you, and that's not what God wants for you. I think, I think surrendering your calendar to God is freeing because it brings clarity to what you need to be focusing on and what you need to say no to. And that's very freeing. I think what we see as staff is influence becomes limited because we're trying to do too many things because we won't say no to good things and we won't say yes to, to just the great things. Does that make sense? In other words, in other words, we're instead of focusing fully on a few things, we're half committed to everything, which means we dilute our influence. And I think God wants us to focus. And so our influence becomes compromised because our calendar is just out of control. Um, you know, animal trainers uh, understand this principle uh, so clearly. When, they, when an animal trainer goes into a cage to train a lion or to work with a lion, they bring three things with them. The first thing is they bring a tranquilizer gun. That's the most important thing. Uh, they'll bring a whip, and then they will bring a stool just like this. When they're working with a lion, they will take this stool and they'll put the stool right in its face. Do you know why? Because the lion can't decide which leg to focus on. And so it gets paralyzed. It gets tamed because it just can't decide which, which legs of the stool to focus on. And it just sits there. And I think a lot of times what happens, what I see uh, in families in the church is we, we're so overcommitted, it kind of paralyzes us a little bit and frustrates us. And, and I think the antidote to that would be just, and this is a very real practical step that you could take, get up in the morning and say, God, I'm, I'm here to serve you. So first thing out of bed, uh, maybe second thing after you drink your coffee, you know, whatever, whatever you need to wake up. But, but, may, but maybe your prayer in the morning should be, God, I'm your servant today. Use me however you'd like to. Or maybe you're on your way to church and you're going to serve at transit. Or you're going you're gonna to greet on Sunday morning. And you're, you need to be praying, God, I'm your servant. I'm available to be used. However you want to use me today, I'm available. I'm willing to say yes. And see, if that's our prayer coming in, then all of a sudden it opens the door for the Spirit of God to use us. Because we're not telling him no, we're telling him yes. Does that make sense? So servant leaders are available. Number two, servant leaders are joyful. Servant leaders are joyful. A servant leader doesn't serve out of obligation. A servant leader serves out of opportunity. Look at, look at Psalm 100, verse 2. Sir, he says this, the psalmist says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. We don't serve because we have to. We don't serve because it's our, it's our duty. I'll do it. You know, no one else will do it. And we serve the Lord out of gladness. We don't serve out of sadness, we serve out of gladness. Now look at, the, look at the heart of our gladness, the heart of our joy. Paul makes this interesting confession. He just, 
kind of opens up his heart, 1 Timothy 1. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. He does not hold back in that, does he? But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, you know what he's saying? He's saying God uses imperfect people. That's what he's saying. God work, He chooses to work through people, and the people that he uses are imperfect people. If, if God only used perfect people, then what would get done? Nothing. Because we're all disqualified from that. So he works through, he works through imperfect people. And so Paul, is, he, he's joyful because he's aware of the gift that he's been given, the mercy that, that has been extended to him and the grace that has been given to him. The truth is, we all have skeletons in our closets. We all have a past. We've all made wrong choices. We, we've all made choices that we still remember and even regret. But you know what? The grace of God says God can overcome that. And God takes ordinary people and he uses them in extraordinary ways. He's glorified in that. He's most glorified working through, you know, just ordinary people. And so the reason why we serve as greeters with great joy or we, we help count the offering with joy because we know people are hearing the message of grace and that's what they need to hear. I was... I was reading about John Orberg. John Orberg is a pastor at Menlo Park uh, Church in Menlo Park, California. And he was sharing this story about jury duty. And uh, he, had, he was called into jury duty. There were 150 people in the basement of the San Mateo, California courthouse sitting in plastic chairs and people were ticked off because they were just on their phones. People were really, really frustrated. Um, how many of you have been at jury duty and you've kind of felt that? Yeah, we, we all have. And so all of a sudden, he shares the story. All of a sudden, this guy, Larry, walks in. And Larry works for the government. And he says, whatever they pay Larry, it is not enough. Because he started talking to this group of 150. And he stood up in front of the group and he said, I just want to thank you so much for showing up for jury duty today. He said, you know, the judges want to thank you, the attorneys, the, the sheriff's department, the police department. On behalf of all of them, we cannot express our gratitude to you enough for doing what you're doing. And he talked about how, you know, jury duty is so important, you know, to our American society because we believe our Constitution says that every person demands, uh, every person is deserving of a of a trial, a fair trial to be judged by their peers. And so he talked about how other countries, you know, people would die for this, to be able to have a fair, the chance at a fair trial. And in so many other countries, they don't have that. And so he began explaining just kind of the ins and outs of this. And then he shared about this 95-year-old lady that showed up for jury duty. She couldn't drive. She didn't have a car. She had to take three different buses. It took her an hour to get to the courthouse. She finally shows up. And, and, you know, they, they didn't need her for jury duty, but they asked her, they said, well, why didn't you just call us? And she said, well, I don't have one of those push-button phones. I just have a rotary phone. And she said, I just wanted to make sure that, you know, if they need me, I was, I was, I was here to serve. 
And he said, as he starts sharing this story, the entire room starts changing. The, the, the feeling in the room changed. And I mean, people are, he said, people are, you know, off their cell phone. People are engaged. People are excited. People, you know, there's starting to be some energy in the room. And then the judge starts the proceeding and he brings uh, John Ortberg up and he says, uh, now you're a pastor, right? And, and Ortberg says, yep. And the judge says, now, can you pronounce someone guilty if, you know, the situation called for it. And uh, John Orber said, yeah, he said, I, I teach the Bible and the Bible teaches that everyone is guilty. And he said, and he, and he said, he said, judge, I could even pronounce you guilty right now. And, um, and everybody laughed just kind of like you did. And, and then uh, they didn't call him on jury duty, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but all of a sudden the attitude in the room changed and there was a joy in the room. And I just think, you know, it should be more joyful to serve at Stones Crossing Church than it is to work for Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? It should be more joyful uh, to, to serve and to volunteer here than it is to, to, to do jury duty. And so that's at the heart of what a servant leader is. A servant leader is joyful. Does that make sense? All right, here's the third one. Servant leaders are faithful. Servant leaders are faithful. So we're talking about available, joyful, and the third one is faithful. Look at 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, this is how one should regard us. We're servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required of stewards, that word steward just means servant, that they be found faithful. God asks, you're my servants, I just want to find you faithful. And what is faithfulness? You know, faithfulness is just being true to your word, isn't it? It's just kind of following through with your commitment. It's just doing what you said you would do. That's faithfulness. And, and uh, you know, when what really matters in the church is not giftedness, it's faithfulness. You know, what really matters in the church is not our ability, it's our dependability. And what God looks for in a servant leader is someone who'll just follow through. That they'll follow through when, you know, when no one's noticing or when it's inconvenient. And so servant leaders, they finish their tasks, they fulfill their responsibilities, they keep their promises, they complete their commitments. That's what a servant leader does. Now, it, this is challenging today because we live in a culture that doesn't do this as much anymore. We, we live in a culture that doesn't really value their commitment. They'll make a commitment and then the smallest thing will cause them to back out and pull out. And, and so it's challenging, but we don't want to be that. We want to be a church that's faith, faithful and, and follows through. Now, let me just be really practical about this. Let's get, let's get right in the trenches. You know, when a volunteer doesn't prepare, when a volunteer just doesn't show up, when a volunteer is, you know, comes and they're not prayed up, uh, when, when a volunteer doesn't get someone to, you know, to take their spot if, if they can't be there, um, that throws off the ministry. And uh, it hinders the work of God in the people of God. And that's not what we want. And so now I understand, and I think as staff, we understand things come up, life happens, we get that. But what we're asking for is, is, is really faithfulness. We just don't want the ministry to be hindered. We don't want the Holy Spirit to be held back. We want Jesus to be able to do miracles uh, because of 
faithfulness. Does that, does that make sense? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the minor prophets, but they are, you, you, should, you should dive into them. They are um, very rich, but the prophet Malachi is one of my favorites. And it's interesting because in Malachi 1, the prophet Malachi is talking about, he's talking to the priest of Israel. And the priests have just drifted away from God. They're just, you know, drifted into selfishness and, you know, just self-centeredness. And, and you know, the sacrificial system in Israel required that the priests give the best and the first of the herd and flock in sacrifice. You know what these priests were doing? They were picking out the lame animals, the diseased animals, the blind animals, the animals they were broken, and they were bringing those to the temple to sacrifice. And you know what God said about that? He said, you're profaning my name. It's, it literally, it means you're turning my name into profanity by the, these blemish sacrifices that we're offering. And he says, I'm not delighted in your sacrifices, and I will not recognize them. Because basically what he's saying is you're not bringing your best. And I think that's what faithfulness is. It's not being perfect, but it is being committed and, and bringing our best. And I think that's, what, that's at the heart of what God is after. And I think what we want to do one day as servant leaders is we want to stand before Jesus and hear him say to us, what? Well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what we want to hear. And so that's at the heart of what servant leadership is really all about. I don't know if you know the name Os Guinness, um, but Os uh, was good friends with the longtime pastor of uh, All Souls Church in London. His name was John Stott. Maybe some of you have heard of John Stott. Um, John Stott is a pastor and an author, a theologian, and uh, Os Guinness and, and John Stott were really good friends. And Os tells the story of the time that he got to visit with John Stott three weeks before John passed away. And he got to visit with John on his de- while John was on his deathbed. And so they shared a bunch of memories. And, and, uh, and, then, and then Oz asked him, you know, John, how can I be praying for you? And this is what he said that John Stott said that day. He said, he said pray that I'll be faithful to my very last breath. Pray that I'll be faithful to Jesus to my very last breath. That's what we want to be. We want to be faithful as elders as staff in our nursery, if we're running sound, um, if we're playing in the band, we just want to be faithful to Jesus all the way to the end. Does that make sense? And that's what a servant leader does. All right, let me give you two more, and then, and then we're almost done. Um, servant leaders, number four, write this down, are mindful. They are mindful. Now, what do I mean by mindful? I think they're they're aware of what's going on around them. They're on the lookout. They're discerning. They're mindful. They, uh, they can read a room. They, they, look, they look to the hearts of people as much as, as much as they can see. And so servant leaders, in other words, they are, they are alert. And they're willing to serve whatever the task is is needed whatever is called for and this you see this in Galatians 6 10 where Paul writes so then as we have the opportunity let us do good to everyone especially to those who are of the household of faith so so 
Servant leaders are aware of opportunities that come up. They're looking for them. And so when God puts someone in your path that has a need, that's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grow and it's an opportunity to minister to them. And it could be, it could look, it could be a hundred different things. It could be picking up trash out in the parking lot, which I do pretty regularly out there. Um, It could be, you know, you're at transit and there's a middle school student over here and no one, he's all by himself. And no, he's not talking to anybody. And you're like, boom, I'm on that. I'm, I'm right over there. Because, you know, that's a need. Um, it could be that you've noticed that someone hasn't been in church in a while. You know, I just called someone just this week because I haven't seen them in a, in a few weeks. And I just, you know, reached out to them and said, hey, we've just been missing you. You know, it's those things that, you know, we're alert for little things, but little things turn into big things in God's economy. Does that make sense? So we're aware of, we're aware of those things around us. I think the other thing is we're just aware of the kingdom of God. I think we're mindful of the kingdom of God. Now, what do I mean by that? We're mindful that we serve a king. And so my motive for serving isn't really to, you know, to impress you or, um, you know, for us to impress one another. My motive for serving is just to please the king because we're part of a great kingdom. And that's having a kingdom mindset. It's being mindful of a kingdom. And I think that's what God wants us to be as servant leaders. And I think a lot of times what, we, what people often want to do is they want to be noticed or they want some kind of accolade or affirmation. And so that's the whole reason why they're serving in church, so that you know, they, they can you know, get that. And you notice this particularly in smaller churches. Um, you know, someone body, somebody wants to be a big fish in a small pond or whatever. And, and so there's this guy that's, you know, 30 rows down in the bureaucracy and he has no control at work at all. But he's been nominated chairman of the flower committee at church and he is ruling with an iron fist. You know what I'm saying? Um, because he just wants to be noticed. Not so here. We just serve. And we serve to please the one. And that's, that's what we're mindful of. All right, last one. Servant leaders are also graceful. All right, they're available. They are joyful. They are faithful. They're mindful. And then lastly, they are graceful. Now, what do I mean by that? I think we, we, we just want to be about grace and extending grace to others. And I think it's, I think it's easy to get to a place where we kind of compare ourselves to one another and, we, and we, we become critical. You know, we kind of pass judgment. And Paul spoke to this. He was aware of this. This is going on in churches that he had started and pastored. He says, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Uh, it's before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. So it's not, what he's saying is it's just not our place to bring severe judgment down on someone else. That's what he's saying. And so I think that, you know, on our ministry teams, we can kind of compare ourselves to one another. Well, they, yeah, they're always late. And I show up on time. And they're just never prepared for the lesson. But, you know, I am. And, uh, and so there's this critical spirit that can, can kind of pop up. I think we want to be aware of that. I think we want to we avoid that. You know, my father-in-law, Woody Church, he'd always say, you know what? It takes no size to criticize. 
takes no size to criticize. Um, it shouldn't be that way with us. It shouldn't be, we shouldn't be critical. So we, we need to show grace to others. Um, by the way, let me, let me drill down on this one a little bit. You know, there's a difference between criticism and feedback. And I would love for us as a church to be better at giving feedback. You know what? Because I need your feedback. We need your feedback. You know the difference between criticism and feedback? You know, criticism is just kind of like I said, it's, it's just passing judgment. It's kind of condemnation. You just do it to make yourself look better, put them down. Feedback is different. And, and this is Dave Whitehead's definition of feedback because he does a whole thing on it and it's really good. But he says this. He says, feedback is a gift given by one person to another in love and concern to help them. That's what feedback is. I think we need to grow as a leadership core in the ability and the commitment to give feedback. The more feedback we have, the better we can be at reaching people for Christ. Does that make sense? So if you withhold that gift from me, then that gift gets withheld from someone else. So we need your feedback. We don't need your criticism, but we need your feedback. We need your encouragement and your feedback. All right, so here's the last, last thing I will say about this. I think servant leaders are graceful towards others and they're graceful towards themselves. Don't be a perfectionist. Believe me, I've tried and it doesn't work. I'm a recovering perfectionist. So I'm learning how to preach the gospel to myself. We, you pray the best you can, you prepare the best you can, and you trust God with the rest. God's not looking for superstars. Can I get an amen? He just uses ordinary people. So you don't have to be a superstar. You just have to be available, joyful, faithful, um, mindful, and graceful. So what step do you need to take in your leadership at Stones? That's the question. All right, what step do you need to take?